0: This morning's scripture reading comes from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Listen to the Word of God. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's bow our heads and pray together, shall we? Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, and uh, living in these times, we need all the light we can get. And so as we open our hearts to the power and truth of your word, we pray your spirit would do what your spirit longs to do in us, plant that word deeply in our hearts and motivate us to take action so we can be the people you call us to be. We thank you for this time, and we receive it with joy And all God's people said, amen. Well, historians sometimes refer to it as the War of the Whiskers, a military conflict between France and England that lasted over 300 years. From 1152 to 1453, it concluded with the Hundred Years' War, and it was basically a fight between England and France over two provinces that France owned, but England claimed belonged to them. But there's a backstory to this, and it's why it's sometimes called the War of the Whiskers i got to take you back to the time of the Crusades. Louis VII, king of France, had just returned from fighting in the Crusades. He was married to a woman named Queen Eleanor. When Eleanor and Louis were married, Eleanor's family gave Louis a gift of two provinces that became part of France as a wedding gift. And so uh, Louis and Eleanor ruled over France, but, but when he got back from the Crusades, he had grown a beard. A full, flowing beard. And it was marvelous. Queen Eleanor found him so attractive. She thought a beard made a man look manly. And uh, she loved that beard on him. But after he returned from the Crusades, the Pope issued a decree that all those who had fought in the Crusades were to shave off their face and be clean-shaven to show their allegiance to the church. Apparently, a lot of these soldiers had grown beards. And so, uh, wanting to do what the Pope said, King Louis decided to shave his beard, but Queen Eleanor begged him not to. And so now he's stuck. Do, do, does he honor the Pope and the papal decree, or does he do what his wife wants him to do? Lewis made a bad choice. He shaved, and Queen Eleanor was very disappointed. And she bugged him about growing the beard back. Won't you please grow it back? I don't know what that says about his attractiveness that his wife is. please grow the beard, right? But he, he remained steadfast in his uh, desire to honor the Pope rather than his wife, and it caused a rift between them. Finally, things got so bad that Eleanor left him, and she went to England. And when she left, King Louis had their marriage annulled, and then Eleanor started dating the Duke of Normandy, who became King Henry II. And once Eleanor married King Henry and now became the, the, the Queen of England with Henry, they decided they wanted those two provinces that Louis got when Eleanor and Louis got married. So Henry sent notice to King Louis and says, hey, uh, the, you know that gift you got as a wedding present from Eleanor's family? We, we, we think that belongs to England now, so we're going to take that property. And Louis sent word back saying, hey, you know what? You can keep my ex-wife, but I'm keeping the property. Right? That became fighting words. And a a war erupted and lasted, like I said, for over 300 years. And it all started over a beard. You know, conflict is an inevitable part of life, isn't it? You can't get around it. People living on this planet together of various backgrounds, personalities, perspectives, personal tastes and preferences, there's going to be conflict in this world. It's almost like God set it up that way so that we all have to deal with conflict in our life. If you're married, you probably know what conflict is like. If you have kids, you know what conflict is like. If you have neighbors, if you work at a job, if you go to school, if you have any relationship at all with any other person, you've probably experienced some conflict. The issue is not, will we have conflict? Here's the, here's the issue. How will we handle it? How will we manage it? How will we, how will we resolve it? And one of the keys to a healthy, happy, joyful life is to learn how to deal with conflict in a positive, healthy manner. Because I'll tell you what, friends, from my perspective as a pastor, I see so much brokenness, so much pain, so much woundedness in people's lives that has come from conflict, not handled well, not handled wisely, that leaves a lasting wound or brokenness in a person's life and makes us very uncomfortable about dealing with differences and challenges because... We're afraid of conflict, and when we do engage in conflict, it gets ugly so quickly, it leaves wounds and pains. Right? We need to remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He says this, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Right? That doesn't mean we become a doormat and let everybody walk all over us. doesn't mean we don't have standards. doesn't mean we don't stick up for ourselves when it's appropriate. Remember, evil triumphs when good people uh, don't... Stand up against it or do nothing, right? So, so we, we, we recognize there's real evil. We have to stand up against it. Sometimes there will be conflict, and it, sometimes it will get ugly. But for the most part, in your life and my life, most of our interpersonal conflicts get ugly and cause a lot of damage because we don't know how to handle it well. So welcome back to our series, Building a Faith That Works. where We're looking at the New Testament letter of James. A letter written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, the senior pastor of the first Christian church of Jerusalem, writing to Jewish Christians, meeting in churches scattered throughout the Roman Empire back in the first century. And what we're discovering is that the issues that many of those early Christians dealt with and had to deal with are in some ways similar to the issues we have to deal with in our modern day lives. And James's overall theme in his letter is simply this. You need to learn to put your faith into practice. If you're not doing it, you don't really believe it. Make sure your deeds match your creeds. Make sure that you don't just say Jesus is my Savior and live however you want, but instead you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, committed to living life his way, and you're actually putting his truth into practice in your life, in your circumstances, and in your relationships. And James explores a variety of different subjects, and we've been looking at these different subjects and different issues that uh, James talks about and, and helps us discover how to deal with those issues in a biblical way in a way that honors the lord and today we're going to look at another one we're going to look at this whole issue of interpersonal conflict so if you have your bibles with you we're encouraging you to bring your bible turn to james chapter 4 james chapter 4 because here's the truth while some conflict is inevitable fighting is optional you don't have to fight not all conflicts have to turn into ugly arguments but James wants us to know there's a reason why sometimes conflicts do turn ugly. And we often think, well, it has to do with that other person that I'm having an argument with. They're the problem. And James says, no, 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 no. The problem's in the human heart. And if you've got a human heart, you're part of the problem. Look at James chapter 1, beginning in, in verse 1. I love what he says here. He, says, he, he starts with the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And then he answers it. Here's what what causes it. They come from your desires at battle within you. And the desires that that he's talking about here are selfish desires, sinful desires, desires rooted in selfishness and ego. In fact, the word he uses here for desire is the word hedone. It's where we get the word hedonism. Hedonism is the relentless pursuit of personal pleasure. And he goes on to say, uh, you want something, but you don't get it, so you kill and you covet and you, you do battle, right? He doesn't mean literally kill here. It's not like the first century church was going around killing people. Uh, what he's talking about is you you want something and you don't get it, so you turn ugly. You get hateful. And you kill relationships. You kill the work of God in your life. You you kill the good things that God has for you. That's what he's really talking about. But 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 the root of it all is the selfishness and the ego wanting what you want more than anything. Do you, you ever see a little child at the checkout stand at the grocery store? You know what I'm talking about? You know all the candy that's there? And you've got a, a parent who is you know checking out, got, got all the groceries and trying to get done. The parent's tired. It's been a long day. And the child's sitting there and the, the child sees the candy and says, Hey, Mom, or Hey, Dad, I, I, want, I want a candy bar. I want some gum. I want, you know, they want something. And the parent says, No, I, I don't think so what does the child usually do? The child usually says, okay, I understand. <laughs> no, what does the child The child pushes it a little bit more and the parent pushes back, no, no, no. And then the child finally starts throwing a fit, right? Pouting, maybe screaming, maybe crying, maybe carrying on. That is what James is talking about. That selfishness, that ego, that hedone, I want what I want because I want it and I want it now. That drive within us to get what we want because we want it, to satisfy our own pleasures. That's in all of us. That little child at the grocery store never really leaves you or me. In fact, advertisers are counting on that little child within us to get us to whip out the credit card and buy whatever we want, whenever we want, because we want, right? We live in that world. And what James is saying is, you got to be careful about that little child within you because that little child can get you into a lot of trouble when you're in a situation where you want something and somebody else wants that same something and you can't both have it, or when you want something and somebody's in your way. Right? James is warning us here that what leads to a lot of conflict, a lot of ugliness, is that selfish ego within us, that, that desire that really isn't healthy. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk this morning about three practical biblical ways we can learn to resolve conflict wisely and well because of that inner child at the grocery store that's a part of our lives. We're going to learn how to tame that child, how to control that so that it doesn't, we don't end up in ugly conflicts with people. So three biblical principles. Here's the first one. Make sure you desire God above all else. Cultivate a desire for God and for his way in your life and for his goodness to flow through. Cultivate that desire above all other desires. See, the problem in your life in my life is not so much desire. It's the order of our desires. Nothing wrong with desiring some good things, nothing wrong with having, uh, desiring some pleasure, but here's the deal. When we desire those things more than God, then our heart is disordered. We're, or the, the desires are out of order. And, uh, and the reason so many of us get depressed and frustrated and irritated and angry and we start to be resentful and we start to lose our gratitude is because we want stuff more than we want God. And when we want stuff more than we want God and we don't get what we want, that's when the battle within starts. That little grocery store kid starts screaming and we start listening to it. And that little voice gets us angry and feeling ungrateful and doing all kinds of dumb things. I love what James says here in verse 3. Notice he says, "Uh, you do not have because you do not ask God. But then he says this, when you do ask, you do not receive. And then he says, here's why. You ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures, right? God wants us to pray, but God wants us to pray like Jesus. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Prayer releases the power of God in your life and in my life, not so we can get what we want, but so that we can do what he wants, amen? When we start praying, God, I want what you want more than anything else in my life, wow, what a difference that creates in our heart and in our soul, and it lowers the level of conflict in our life because now we're seeking the right thing. Jesus put it this way. He said, seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else will be added unto you. Some of you right now in your life are in conflict. Some of you in your life right now are not feeling thankful or grateful for what you have. Some of you in your life right now are bitter and resentful, and you think the problem is I'm not getting what I want out of life. But that's not the problem. Here's the problem. You're wanting the wrong things out of life. You don't want God badly enough. You don't want his will and his way done in your life strongly enough so that then it puts all your other desires into their proper order. And some of you know I'm speaking to you right now, and you need to hear this. Cultivate a love for God, a desire for God above all else. That's the only way to quiet that screaming child within us. I love the way Timothy puts it. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Notice it doesn't say getting everything you want in life is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Back in uh, 2015, Carolina Toledo won the Miss Amazon contest. This is an annual beauty contest in Brazil that selects the most beautiful woman in Brazil who then goes on to represent Brazil in the Miss Universe pageant. And last year in 2015, uh, Carolina Toledo won the contest. And when her name was announced, the response was predictable. She broke into tears of joy. And people stood and applauded. And the, the last year's winner came strolling out on her lovely gown with the crown and put the crown on her head. And the Master of Ceremonies had this big bouquet of flowers to give to her to celebrate the most beautiful woman in Brazil. And then the unexpected happened. No sooner had that crown been put on Christina's head than uh, the runner-up reached up and yanked it out of her head and threw the crown off into the crowd and stormed off the stage. True story, Google it. It's just hilarious to watch. It really is. The runner-up was a woman named Shishlana Hayala. Man, I had to practice that name a lot. Shishlana Hayala... And uh, after all this happened, she was interviewed. And you know what? Here's what she didn't say. She didn't say, you know, I just desire to love God with my whole heart and life. And and I just want God's will to be done. And, and, you know, it would have been nice to have won the beauty pageant. I mean, that's that's really quite an honor. But being runner-up is a pretty high honor as well. And, And really what matters is not... You know how beautiful I am. It's, it's, it's what I'm like on the inside. And you can't put enough hairspray and makeup on something to make it beautiful. Beauty comes from the inside, just as the Bible says. And so I'm just asking that the kingdom of God be manifest in my life. She didn't say that, did she? You know what she said? She said, I don't regret what I did one bit. She said, I'm more beautiful than her. I deserve to win that contest. She probably bribed the judges. Now, can you See the little child at the grocery store here? I didn't get what I want. Hey, we can understand that is a little disappointed. Sure, she had her heart set on something, she didn't get it. That's going to happen. How do you respond? You can tell a lot about what your real desires are in life by how you respond when you don't get what you want. What really matters in your life and my life is evident by what we do, how we respond when we don't get something we think we ought to have. If that little child comes out and starts screaming and carrying on, we get a bad attitude, that's a clear sign that there is desire at war within our heart, and the kingdom of God is not what we're seeking first, and instead we're chasing after lesser things. And it's so easy to happen. In fact, friends, this is why it is so important that we engage in the spiritual disciplines. Things like what we're doing here, worshiping, together as the family of God. Because frankly, I need to be reminded every Sabbath day that my life is not my own. I'm here to love, honor, and serve God. Jesus bought me with a price. I need the desire to seek His kingdom first. I need to be reminded every single Sabbath day, and I need to worship and come and say thank you to God for all He's given me and all He's entrusted to me. I need to remember that I have responsibilities that go along with my privileges, and I need to live those out. Don't you? And I need to read the Word every day to be reminded of what it means to walk the way Jesus calls me to walk. and I need to pray every day to keep the desires of my heart in the right direction, I still mess up a lot. But boy, those disciplines really help. Those regular spiritual disciplines. I need to be financially generous in order to release the grip of stuff in my life. So that if God says, I want you to give more, I'll say, yes, sir, I'm honored to do it. Rather than, oh, if I do that, then I can't have this, this, and this, right? So the truth of the matter is, Our problem, the reason we have so much conflict in our lives is our disordered heart. And the only way to fix that is to make sure you desire God above all else. Amen? All right, here's the second practice. Second practice. Turn frustration into fascination. All right? We've talked about this before when we've talked about marriage. Because no place is this more important than your marriage and your family. uh, Because when you get frustrated about something... That your spouse is doing, or that your kids are doing, or your boss is doing, or your neighbors. When you get frustrated, you often end up having a confrontation rather than a conversation, right? Because you're bringing all that frustration with you, and you're speaking in a tone of voice, and you're using words that cause defensiveness and immediately cause an argument to break out, right? So here's how you fix that when you start to get frustrated, just stop, take a deep breath, and say, This is fascinating. I'm fascinated. Instead of I'm so frustrated, just say, I'm fascinated, right? You come home, your kids haven't done the homework, the house is a mess, you are now officially fascinated, right? I know you laugh, I laugh too, but wow, it just diffuses it all. It really does. It makes such a difference. Because here's the deal, Uh, we have to learn to try to understand the other person in order to resolve the conflict with them. And, f- and fascination allows me to listen, to ask questions, to, to be in a learning posture instead of an attack posture. See, you shouldn't have fights with people. Here's what you should have, learning conversations, where you're learning. What were they thinking? What were they doing? So, so be fascinated. Channel your inner Mr. Spock, right? You remember Star Trek, the original, um, this is how old I am, the original ones, where Captain Kirk is frothing at the mouth and he's all mad, he wants to punch somebody in the face or, you know, shoot him with his laser or something. And there's Mister Spock over there going, "Fascinating, right?" That's just. Uh, I'm not saying we can't have emotion. I'm saying you gotta control the emotion. One of the best ways to do that, is by choosing to be fascinated instead of frustrated. Be curious about the situation or the way the other person is thinking. Try to instead of saying "This really ticks me off," say. I need to understand this, right? One of the passages we we listened to this morning that was read for us, James 1, 19 and 20. It's your memory verse for this week. Let's put it up on the screen. Let's, Let's just say this out loud together. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for a person's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Quick to listen, slow to speak. I think that means be fascinated. I think that means listen, ask questions, try to understand. If you, can't, if you can't articulate the other person's point of view or the other person's issues or what the other person, then you don't understand them yet. You have no right to give your point of view. Remember what Steve Covey said in the, the seven habits of highly effective people? Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Because it's only once I understand the other person that I'm ready to communicate in a way that they can then understand me. I can still remember when I was in high school. I joined a debate club in high school, one of those after-school clubs, and, you know, you you take sides and you debate stuff. They teach you debate strategies and all that. I signed up for debate club, and uh, the first day the teacher was there, and uh, she says, we're going to have a debate next week, and it's going to be about capital punishment, executing criminals who, you know, committed murder, that sort of thing. And she says, how many of you all here, just curious, how many of you all here are in favor of capital punishment under some circumstances? My arm shot up. I was. Absolutely oh, I'm in favor of that. And a bunch of other people raise their hands too. And she said, okay, you're team A. And then she says, how many of you are opposed to capital punishment? And then a bunch of other people raise their hand. And she said, okay, you're team B. So here's what I was thinking. This is great. Teacher's going to say, all you on team A, you're going to work together and come up with the best argument you can have for why we should have capital punishment. And all you over here in Team B, you're going to work up the best argument you can have for why we shouldn't have capital punishment. That's the way I thought it was going, and I was all excited about that. I was ready to let those dummies know. <laughs> but that's not what she did. You know what she did? She said, you on Team A, you got to come up with the best possible argument as to why we shouldn't have capital punishment. And you on Team B, you have to come up with the best possible She She made us argue the position we didn't agree with and it was brilliant. Hey, it didn't change my mind necessarily, but it allowed me to understand both sides of the argument. So now when I get in a conversation with somebody over a controversial issue like this, the first words out of my mouth are, you're just a softie, you can't deal with reality. No, I understand where they're coming from. See the difference? I'm telling you, friends, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become, turn frustration into fascination. Have a learning posture when you go into disagreements. Your, your desire is not to win the fight. Your desire is to learn and understand so that maybe you can figure out how better to resolve the conflict or at least live with that agree to disagree. Right? That, wouldn't that make a huge difference in our country right now? If we would just lower the animosity and just seek first to understand... Turn frustration into fascination? I think it would. My wife and I do this in our marriage all the time. You know? If you're married, you need to know this. Research has shown this. What makes one marriage successful and another marriage a failure is not whether or not there's conflict. Marriages always have conflict, it's how the couple deals with the conflict, how they treat each other, how they talk to each other, how they respond to it, how they work to resolve it. That's the key. And I'm, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom right now. When it comes to your marriage, turn frustration into fascination. I do that with my, I have this little expression I use when I'm starting to get frustrated with Lynn and I don't want to be, I want to turn it into fascination. Here's what I say. Honey, help me understand. Help me understand. That's what I do. Help me understand why you thought this was the right thing to do. Or, help me understand why you said this to the kids. Or Help me understand why you thought we needed to buy this right now. Help me understand. Wow. What a difference, help me understand. Now, she knows, because we've done marriage conferences together. She knows whenever I say, help me understand, she knows I'm battling frustration. So you know what she does? She says, oh, I'll help you understand, all right. Here, here. Here's what you need to understand. I'm right and you're wrong. That's how she does it. And we do exactly what you do. We laugh about it, and then we get get serious. But a little humor helps, right? But seriously, desire to honor God above all else and then turn frustration into fascination. That'll, that'll lower and change the dynamics of a conflict. And then the last thing, last thing cult, uh, not, not only cultivating a desire of God and not only turning frustration into fascination, but deal with conflict when it shows up instead of waiting until it blows up. Right? Deal with it when it shows up rather than waiting until it blows up. See, too often we ignore conflict, we avoid conflict, we try to stuff conflict, so issues go unaddressed, And they go unresolved until finally something happens and it's boom, right? Does that ever happen? Right? I mean, in some ways, it's only natural that we would want to not engage in conflict when it first starts, because usually conflict starts out of something small and not that important, like shaving a beard, right? Something small. And so, because it's a small thing, you say to yourself, well, I don't want to be too sensitive. I I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill. I should just be better than this, and shrug it off, and move on. And, and, and sometimes that's true. I mean, some of us do need to be less sensitive, and we do need to stop making mountains out of molehills and turn everything into an issue. But sometimes those little things start piling up, don't they? And then uh, we continue to ignore it, but we don't really ignore it. We start keeping score. And we continue to tell ourselves, I shouldn't be upset about this, but we're getting upset about it. And then we start talking to other people about it and we start stirring it up. And then uh, all of a sudden, this person is no longer a person we love who occasionally does things that could fascinate us. Now this person becomes somebody we really find irritating, and they're doing things we don't like. And then finally, because we've stuffed it and not dealt with it and not talked to them about it, finally they do something, usually something small, and we blow. And they're looking at us going, What kind of a jerk blows up over a little thing like that? And then you realize it's not the little thing like that. It's the little thing on top of all the other little things that I just ignored and didn't deal with. And now it just blows. And now there's all this toxic residue in my relational world. And now nobody wants to try to wade into conflict after all this mess, right? Why? Because we didn't deal with it when it showed up and we waited until it blowed up. I think part of what James is saying when he says, be quick to listen, I think he's also saying, be quick to go to somebody when a little conflict is starting to develop. Jesus does this so well in Matthew 18. He gives us the best prescription for dealing with conflict with another person. I love this. He says, when you got something against somebody or they got something against you, go directly to them. Well, isn't that a novel idea? Go to them, have a conversation, not a fight, a conversation. And and talk to them about it. That's what Jesus says. Don't send a snarky email. Don't go gossiping about that person to all your friends. Don't go building up an army to go to war. No, no, no. Go have a conversation. That's my paraphrased version of what Jesus says. But uh, bottom line is, have a face-to-face conversation with a person. And if that doesn't resolve it, then try again, but bring somebody with you. a A mutual friend or or a pastor, or a counselor, or, or somebody who can be unbiased if you're having a problem at work. You know, most workplaces have some kind of uh, process in place to deal with conflict in the workplace. Follow that process. It usually involves you and somebody else sitting in a room with a mediator or a supervisor, or your supervisor's supervisor to resolve this kind of thing. And then Jesus says, look, do your best. And if that doesn't work out, then He says, well, maybe you need to limit your exposure to this person and limit your association with the person. Sometimes, if, if that's at work, it might mean you transfer to another division or you maybe you look for another job entirely. Sometimes it means you gotta move to a new neighborhood or at least keep a distance with your neighbor or sometimes it unfortunately means getting a restraining order in some cases. I mean, really. But here's the deal, don't make things worse by getting ugly. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. And sometimes the best thing you can do is just walk away and say, that person is too toxic, and they're not willing to resolve conflict in a healthy way. I just can't do anything with them, and I just need to let it go. Sometimes you got to do that. And I know sometimes that's hard when it's a parent or a a close friend or somebody you really love who, for whatever reason, they're just not willing to work it out. And I know that's painful, but you do the best you can, and then if you... You can't, you forgive, you let go of the bitterness, and you move on. I have a pastor friend who's so good at this. this you know, uh, when he gets a snarky email, I know it's hard for you to believe that pastors would actually get snarky emails, but it happens sometimes. Or he hears somebody making a comment, or somebody tells him about somebody who made a comment that, that was you know, kind of offensive or something. I love what he does. He picks up the phone right away, and he calls him. He says, Hey, uh, can we get together? And they get together, and he has a face-to-face conversation. I'll never forget, I called him one time because I got a snarky email. And uh, I said, hey, I'm composing this email back to this person. He says, why are you doing that? I said, because I I, want to answer him. He says, well, here's how you answer him. You pick up the phone and call them. And I said, why can't I just send an email? He says, you can't resolve conflict over email. It never works. And he's right. right? So so he picks up the phone, he calls, and then he has a face-to-face. He says, 90% of the time, once I have somebody and we're sitting face-to-face, looking at each other, listening to each other, in a, in, a, in a fascinated attitude. Nine times out of ten, things work out. because my goal is not to put this person in their place or tell them off or feel good about you know, winning the argument. My goal is to understand them and work toward reconciliation and forgiveness. And, man, when you go in with that kind of attitude, and that kind of, it, it lowers the, the emotional... Stuff so that you can actually deal with the issue in a constructive way. But here's the bottom line: you have got to deal with it early, before it gets so emotional and so frustrating that that it's it's hard to deal with at all. What causes fights and quarrels among us? Simply this: selfish desires that battle within us. So cultivate a desire for God above all else. That'll put all the other desires in their proper perspective. Sometimes conflict is a result of misunderstanding. So. So turn frustration into fascination. Seek to understand. Have a learning conversation. That that resolves a lot of misunderstandings. Sometimes conflict is there because we've let a small issue get ignored until it becomes a big issue. So deal with it when it shows up instead of waiting until it blows up. Conflict is inevitable, but fighting is not. If we desire to seek God's kingdom above all else, if we'll turn frustration into fascination, if we will do our part to deal with conflict when it shows up. We'll be honoring what our Lord tells us to do. And we'll be living at peace. And we'll show up the world, what it means to put your faith into action.